following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. In 2012, filmmaker James Cameron went on an adventure that he had dreamed about since childhood. He got inside this small capsule They went out into the Pacific Ocean, and they dropped him down into the deepest part of of the entire Earth. It is the deepest part of any ocean. It's called the Mariana Trench, and he dropped all the way down into that trench seven miles down. And he did that, and he he filmed, he he released a documentary uh, a little while later, and he did as this adventure. I mean, here's a guy that, you know, he made movies like the Avatar movies, the uh, Titanic, Terminator, Alien. He did all these big movies, but he had a personal adventure he wanted to do. He wanted to drop down to the deepest recesses of the deeps, the deepest place on earth. And he dropped down to that what only two people before him had ever done. And to give an idea of what an accomplishment this was, what a risk this was, and really just how amazing it is what he did, uh, National Geographic created this little one-minute video that illustrates how deep he went. I want you to check out this video. Turn your attention to the screens. Check this out. Now, that gives you a little bit of an idea how deep he went. Did you happen to notice a couple things? For one, did you notice the outline of Mount Everest inverted? Did you notice that? That means he went deeper into the ocean than Mount Everest is high. That's how deep he went. The other thing that I wasn't sure if you noticed, did you see when they cut to that clip of him inside the capsule? Did you see that? Yeah, no thank you. I'm I'm not not interested. In fact, there was an article that I read that after he did this, Several other um, billionaires around the world have been now getting ready to do their own dive down into the deepest uh, recesses of the ocean. And the article ended with, um, if you have enough money, you can also go down into that trench. And I was thinking, you don't understand. You don't have enough money to get me to go down into that trench, okay? Okay. Like, I want you to see hands. How many of you guys say, absolutely, sign me up, I'm in? I want to see hands. Like, I'd do it. I would do it. Okay. Okay, you're, you're crazy. Okay. How many of you say, absolutely not, no way, there are even some elevators I'm afraid to get into? Okay. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, like, I think about going down into the deep in that tiny little uh, confined space Hours and hours down into the deeps and then back up. And I, I mean, just thinking about it, I get a little panicky, okay? I mean, they describe it's not just that you're in a confined space for all that time. It's the reality that with every second you're descending, the pressure on the outside of that little capsule threatening to implode and crush you like a tin can becomes a greater and greater reality. I mean, many people have dropped uh, unmanned um, instrumentation down into that trench, and it's just imploded once it got so deep. And they estimate, there's one um, institute that studies the deepest parts of the ocean, and they, they estimated 
to try and illustrate what the pressure would be like at the bottom of that trench. I'm just going to read this quote. They said, it would, be, it would feel like 100 adult elephants standing on your head. That sounds uncomfortable, okay? 100 adult elephants standing on your head. I mean, I'm, I'm glad it's adult elephants, because if it was juvenile elephants, like, oh, that's fine. I'll take juvenile. But if it's adult elephants, now I'm uncomfortable, okay? It's defined, like, that is how much pressure is at the bottom. And with every second you're at the bottom, you might get crushed at any second. I mean, truly was a brave endeavor. And I tell you about this encounter because there are these things around our world. There's these parts of creation that when we just really think about how they are, their magnitude, their, their breadth or their depth, when we think about the magnitude of certain elements of our world, it really is overwhelming. Like, very quickly, there are things in our planet, in our world, that will very quickly overwhelm us. Like, just think about the, the deepest parts, the deeps. Like, you don't conquer the deeps. James Cameron didn't conquer the deeps. He went down there briefly and escaped with his life. He doesn't own it. It will own you. There are things that on our planet that can make very short work of us. There's parts of our world that when we encounter it, very quickly humble us. Proverbs chapter 8 picks up on this idea of creation and, and what that does when we encounter it and what that does in us. And it uses these elements of creation. It uses them to help us realize a principle that is vital to our success in our lives. I want you to check out Proverbs chapter eight. Open in your Bible or Bible app, Proverbs chapter eight. Grab, uh, grab your uh, journal or something to write with for some notes, and we're gonna dig into this really beautiful passage in Proverbs chapter eight. Here's why we've been in Proverbs for the last couple weeks. Over uh, the last few months, we have been uh, in doing an, a reading plan together as a church. We have a chapter every day that we read through. Uh, some of us, many of us get a text message every morning of what the next chapter is. If you would like to get that text message, it's just a simple text message in the morning, tells you the next chapter to read, uh, you can sign up for that right now on your phone. You would just text the number 97,097,000. Text WPCC to that number. Text WPCC to 97,000 and join hundreds of us, get that text every morning, and you can read along with your church. We've been reading through Proverbs, and so we touched down on Proverbs 8 these last two weeks to orient us to this book of Proverbs that is packed with very practical wisdom. Let's check out what it says in Proverbs chapter 8. Last week, we were looking at the beginning of the chapter. Today, we're looking at the second half of the chapter. And last week, what Proverbs 8 did is it took this idea of wisdom and it personified it. It's kind of poetic. It poetically took the idea of wisdom and it's writing this chapter as if wisdom is a person. In this chapter, it's writing it as if it's a woman, Lady Wisdom, calling out to whoever's passing by. And basically, it's wisdom calling to humanity, saying, I'm offering wisdom to all of you. It's there for you to take. The problem is often we just don't take wisdom and apply it to our lives. 
So I want you to open Proverbs 8. We're going to start in verse 22. Here's what it says. This is Lady Wisdom talking. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth when there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man." What does Lady Wisdom say here about herself? Or in other words, what is the Bible telling us about wisdom? What it says is that wisdom, first of all, was created by God. And it was created first. These things, I mean, they really stretch us to the limits of our mentality. I mean, imagine before God created anything, there was nothing and God, nothing. There was no matter, no particles. There wasn't even empty space. There was no space. There wasn't even a vacuum. There was nothing. And it says God created, the the ancient theologians would say it like this, ex nihilo, God creates from nothing. He didn't like look around at all the broken pieces and bring order, there was nothing. And he started creating. Everything that is, is invented. It's hard for us to get it in our brains. It's hard for us to even think about because God invented thinking. It says the first thing God created was wisdom. I mean, try and imagine a universe without any system of order or wisdom. There was nothing and there was just the being of God. And outflowing out of God, first he invents this idea of wisdom there's, he brings order, he arranges the rules, he arranges how he's going to function with everything, how it's all going to work together. He's intentionally wiring the universe. The universe makes sense because it's how God wired it together. In other words, everything we discover, every new scientific rule, every new law, everything we can, we can discover about God or about this universe is something God invented. It did not pre-exist God. He invented wisdom even from the beginning. In other words, let's just put it more directly, what is science? Science is our attempt as human beings to grasp how God ordered his universe. And so even just those opening sentences, verses of this part of Proverbs 8, it kind of confronts us a little bit. Because we're proud of our scientific advancement. 
We as humans, we're proud of it, and, and it really is amazing how science is advancing so fast. I mean, our knowledge is doubling like every few years. It's incredible how fast scientific advancement is happening, exponentially building on itself. It's incredible, but, but let the Bible kind of put us in our place for a second. It's our puny, tiny attempts to grasp the unfathomable. It's our best effort as tiny humans to understand God's ways and how he wired and invented the universe. All we're looking at and studying is God's. And wisdom says this, and to really kind of accentuate that point, to kind of like punctuate that point, then Lady Wisdom walks through these parts of creation that are really powerful, beautiful, immense, overwhelming. And she says, look, I was there before the deeps. You know, we just talked about how the, the deepest places of the earth, I mean, it's even overwhelming to think about, to just imagine, let alone go there. I mean, it's overwhelming. Wisdom's like, yeah, I was there long before that. She says, I was there long before mountains. I was even there before the earth. She says, I was there when God designed the heavens, like when he fixed the heavens how he wanted it, the universe. She says, I was there, Lady Wisdom does, I was there as God's master craftsman. He used me to wire together the universe. In other words, this passage is God saying, my wisdom is what wired together all that is. And there's parts of this world that overwhelm you. Transfer that to your relationship with me, God is saying, and my wisdom. If the things my wisdom has done has overwhelmed you, what does that mean about your relationship with me? Let's look at these specific things. She, she, we've talked about the depths. Wisdom says that she was there before the depths were there. God's like, my wisdom made the depths. He says, also the mountains. Man, mountains, I don't know if you've ever stood in view of a massive mountain. And it, it, when you see it, like it's something that like pictures cannot capture. It's the same with like the Grand Canyon. If you've ever seen the Grand Canyon, you've stood there at the edge and you've seen hundreds of photos. But when you stand there, no one on earth says, well, it's a little underwhelming. It's just a little crack right there. I mean, it's just not that much to see. I mean, no one says that. Everyone is just overwhelmed. It's massive. It dwarfs you. It makes you feel small. And the same when you're standing in front of a massive mountain. When you're standing before it, it's just something that pictures cannot capture. Like, let me just show you one picture and describe what I'm talking about. Pull up that picture of uh, K2. K2, it's the one in the background. K2 is the second highest mountain in the world. Um, it is only a few people have gotten to the top of it. Only a, a handful of people have gotten to the top of it. Ten times more people have gotten to, to the top of Mount Everest than to the top of K2. It is one of the most dangerous climbs in the world. But the view you're looking at here is if you were trekking to climb K2, you would have traveled for weeks to get to this particular camp. And this is a famous view of K2 because you've been traveling through valleys and through villages and you get to this view and it's like the first time you get a full view of this mountain, K2. 
And at this point, you've spent about $45,000 in plane flights and in uh, the expenses for the Sherpas to go up the mountain with you and all the equipment and the oxygen and everything. You've spent $45,000 to get to that point. And what experienced guides have said, go ahead and pull that picture up one more time. What experienced guides have said, there have been people who have gone to all that effort, weeks of travel, tens of thousands of dollars, they've gotten to this point, and when they see that hauntingly massive, treacherous mountain, some turn back. They don't even take a single step further. I mean, it's just something that picture just cannot capture, just how awesome that mountain is when you stand before it. God's saying, yeah, I mean, some mountains freak you out. Wisdom, my wisdom, it pre-exists mountains. It was used to construct mountains. But there's something that dwarfs mountains. I love looking at NASA, the, the images that they capture, especially from like the space station as it's orbiting our planet. They just get these incredible gorgeous views of our planet. And it just reminds you how massive our planet is. Pull, pull up that one picture. I love this picture of Earth. Uh, just beautiful, and that's just beautiful, just amazing. And I don't know if you can tell what you're looking at, but you're looking from east to west over South Florida. You see Florida coming in from, from right to left? So that, that's South Florida. I, I want you all to look really closely and find your house, okay? You might have to really squint to see it, okay? It's just a reminder. I mean, this is like an up-close view of our planet, and already, I mean, you can barely make out anything of what is our existence in our world. I mean, we're on this blue planet here, and we're these, I mean, just like remind yourself how tiny, like we're really, really, really small on this planet, aren't we? I mean, like you can't see, like you can't really see anything that a human has built, let alone like your house or you, I mean, like, you're really, really, really tiny on this planet. Can we all agree to that? Okay? Like, we're all really small. Like, it's funny how, like, if you meet, like, a really tall person, you're like, whoa, dude, you're tall, okay? From this view, not that tall, okay? I mean, we're all really the same relative to how massive the planet is. Remember the immensity of our planet? It's just a reminder of how small. I mean, mountains dwarf us. But, like, our planet we become invisible. But you know, tomorrow, like uh, Memorial Day, you go out on the beach, you know, or you, you go have a picnic. I hope you put suntan lotion on because there is this disc in the sky called the sun that you're intimately acquainted with. And if you don't put suntan lotion on, even for millions of miles away, the sun will hurt you. I mean, the sun could actually kill you, just the sun. But it is so far away, but I just want to remind you how immense the sun is. Because what this says is, is man, God's like, yeah, my, my wisdom, it, it built the deeps. It built the mountains. It built the earth, but it also set the heavens in place. And can I just show you this one rendering of what the earth is in comparison to the sun? Go ahead and pull up that next picture. Like you just remind yourself, like if we were brought like up close to the sun, like that's our planet right there. Okay, now I want you all to look at the planet and squint really closely and try and find your house, okay? Can you guys do that, okay? 
I mean, like, there's nothing you can see on our planet at this point. It's all disappeared. I mean, look at the terrible fury of that star. I mean, just this horrifying inferno, like, just blisteringly hot. That, like, if we just got a little, if our planet just rocked off its orbit a little bit, getting a little closer to the sun, I mean, you incinerate, everything you know incinerate, all of history incinerates, the planet just vaporizes in its heat. Like, you see how tiny, like, we are in comparison to the, the furious sun? Yeah, God's saying, yeah, my wisdom, it, it made the depths that you get panicky thinking about. Yeah, it made the mountains that make you feel small. It was there when the planet was made that just makes you so small, you become invisible. And it set the heavens, you know, the sun that looks like a disc that's actually this massive inferno. I made that. But you know, like our sun is not even, it's not like a a super large star in the universe. In fact, they have in the last several years, they keep finding these stars that are bigger and bigger. The largest star that they've found to date is, let me just read it to you. It's called um, UY Scuti is what it's called, UY Scuti. It's the largest star that they know of to date. I mean, is it the largest star in the universe? I mean, they can, how could we possibly know? I mean, we've seen such a minuscule part of the universe, but it's the largest star they've found. Let me show you, like, you know, the sun, how it dwarfs our planet. Let me show you this large star in comparison to our star, okay? Can you see the, the sun there next to it? You don't see it? Okay, let's zoom in a little bit so you can see. Hey, go back. There we go. That's our sun next to that largest star they know of. Now, I want you to squint real hard next to the sun, okay? All right, somewhere there's a planet, Earth, and somewhere there's Florida, and somewhere is your house, and you're on it, okay? Can I just remind you of the immensity of the universe. Lady Wisdom here in this passage is kind of putting humanity in our place. It's leveraging creation. It's levering this world, this universe, to remind us we're puny. We're really, really, really tiny. We're actually really, not just tiny, really young. Like, it doesn't matter if you're like 90, 100 years old. Like, you are brand new. Like, we are really small, really young humans. And this, this passage is taking these truths of the world. It's reminding us, it's showing us that. And Lady Wisdom is like, okay, I'm... I'm just telling you, like, I was there and and helped God make all this. In other words, God is saying, why are you questioning my wisdom? When I invented and came up with the things that so easily overwhelm you, so why would you question my wisdom? And if pieces of my creation overwhelm you, and I overwhelm my creation, like that star... U-Y-Scutai, 
trembles in the presence of Almighty God. The universe quakes in his hand. It's vulnerable. Some scientists believe that there are black holes out there that swallow whole stars. Can you imagine the power? And that trembles before the one who made it. Proverbs 8 is kind of putting us in, his, in our place a little. Look what it says. Let's finish out this chapter. Verse 32. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. And do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds, what's that word? Life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love, what's that word? Death. Here's what Lady Wisdom is saying, wisdom personified. She's saying, please seek me. God's not holding wisdom back from you. He's not hiding it. You can have it. Seek it out. Come find me every day. You can be wise. You can have access to the same wisdom that God used to wire the universe together. Human, it's being offered to you. Can you believe that? He's offering you wisdom. And then he ends showing you like, don't you think it's a little silly not to take God up on his offer of giving us wisdom? He says, this is how God wired the universe. He says, this, God wired the universe with this wisdom. So if you seek it and find it, you are living according to how the universe is wired. If you seek God's wisdom, all of it belongs to him. If you seek God's wisdom, you'll find life. He says, it's kind of absurd to look at God and say, well, God, I hear you, but I think I'm going to run my life my own way. Your views, God, they're a little outdated. You know what? I, thank you very much. I'm going to try it my own way first. This proverb is saying you could do that. And you're literally running against how God wired the universe. Why would you do that? One brings life, the other brings death. He says, God's saying, I'm offering you my wisdom so you can find life. If you run against my wisdom, you're just going to destroy your life. In other words, the same genius and brilliance that wired the universe together the same ultimately wise being is saying, don't you think it's a good idea to let me, who governs the universe, govern your life? It's making it real simple and real logical. Don't you think the being who invented and created and runs effectively, he's got a pretty good track record. It's called the universe. He says, the one that runs the universe effectively and invented all that is, he invented inventing, he's saying, 
don't you think it's wise? I mean, isn't it just smart? Isn't it, isn't it absurd not to? Like, isn't it just absolutely ridiculous to look at the being God and say, no thanks, I will run my life how I want to? Doesn't it make so much more sense? I mean, it's like, should be just basic 101 level sense to say, yes, you should run my life. In fact, that's basically the key verse of the entire book of Proverbs. Listen to Proverbs chapter one, verse seven. Right off the bat, this is what it says in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. That's the first step. It's the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord. Like, the first step to wisdom, it kind of makes sense to stop and say, okay, there's plenty of this world that overwhelms me. In fact, just earlier this week, I got pretty overwhelmed by something kind of small. And it wasn't going to the deepest recesses of the ocean. It was something a lot less than that, and I got overwhelmed. Okay, this world overwhelms me. This universe overwhelms my world, and there is a being that overwhelms the universe. Seems like, like the smallest step of intelligence would be, you know how to run my life better than I do. That seems pretty basic. That's actually the beginning of wisdom. And Proverbs 8 is putting us in our place saying, okay, you're really just faced with the question of, do you believe God knows how to run your life better or do you know how to run your life better? Like, just wrestle with that question. Now, here's the thing about a question like that. It's easy, like, in the safety of uh, church to be like, well, yeah, of course. I mean, God's got to run our lives. You know, absolutely. You know, there's big stars and mountains and stuff. God's got to run our life. Got it. Man, but then it gets to the parts of our lives that we're pretty protective over. That can get uncomfortable, like surrendering our life and saying, God, absolutely, any part of my life, I will run the way you want me to run, not the way I want to run it. Yes, absolutely, God, I will continue doing it your way even though it's no longer making sense. You know what, God, I, everyone in the world around me and everything about in my body or everything um, in my mind is telling me this is the right thing, but the Bible says this, so, all right, God, I'm gonna choose to do it your way. I mean, that can make sense theoretically, but man, when we get down to living everyday life, that gets difficult. Like, let me just, to, to cement this idea of what Proverbs 8 is saying, like, let me just read you a couple Proverbs that describe the places in our life where I think this is probably the hardest. I'm gonna warn you, it's gonna sting because we like to keep control of these areas. The first one is this. We can say, yeah, God, you can run my life better than I can, but man, when it comes to our own dreams and plans, that's when it gets tough. Because everywhere in our world says, man, hold on to your dreams. Don't stop believing in your dreams. Believe in yourself and you can achieve your plans and your goals and your dreams. In fact, when we stop believing in our dreams, we read books to remind ourselves to keep believing in our dreams. Don't stop believing in those dreams. Keep Because it's all about like, what do you want to accomplish this life? What are your plans, your goals, your dreams? What is it that you want? You go after that. Don't give up. And one day you will achieve those plans and those dreams. Can I confront that idea with what the Bible says? Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, 
but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. In other words, can I say something that would absolutely, it sounds so bizarre to our culture, but it's true. Our dreams don't really matter. Your plans don't matter. Because God, sovereign God, has a plan. But can I give you something better? You can go away and on a retreat and come up with your goals and your plans and your dreams. They don't matter. There's something far better. For some mysterious region, reason, the almighty God who holds the universe in his hand looks into this universe and in one corner sees this tiny galaxy and sees this little tiny star within that galaxy with a tiny minuscule little planet and these infinitesimally small beings on this planet and says, I love each one of those puny little humans so much. I love them so much that I am actually going to design a plan and a dream for each one of their lives. Why should you surrender your plans and your dreams? Because the inventor of all that is has a plan and a dream for your life. Your plan and your dream, you are just plagiarizing from someone else's story. He's writing a unique masterpiece over your life. That's the dream and plan that you want. Surrender your dreams. Give up your dreams and your plans and wait for his dream and plan over your life. Seek that out. Surrender before the incredibly immense awe-inspiring wisdom of God. And let's not have the audacity to think, I can come up with a good dream and plan for my life. Instead, in humility, say, in fear of the Lord, I would so much rather have your dream and plan in my life, and when my life takes a right-hand turn I wasn't expecting, or a dead end I wasn't expecting, I am gonna hold on to the truth that you have a plan you are playing out in my life. That's so much better than anything that I could come up with. Surrender your dreams and your plans. See, it's, it's one thing to nod our heads and say, absolutely, trust God. He knows better than us. But when it comes to, to my plans, that's tough. It stings. But there's something that stings even more. My stuff. Because it's one thing to have these kind of conceptual dreams and plans, but my stuff, I mean, that's mine, right? I mean, it, I earned it. I got it. It's my money, my things, it's my car, my home, you know, my plans, my retirement, my accounts. I mean, it's mine. Well, what the Bible says is the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So none of that's yours. You are not yours. The molecules that make up your body belong to God. None of it is yours. It all belongs to him. So say so. what the Bible is telling us to do is say, okay, God, I surrender everything I have, every penny I own, every, every item that I have, all of my stuff, even my time, every minute. I ultimately say, God, I surrender that to you. How do you want me to use it? And here's what the Proverbs say, and it stings. It confronts our wisdom, and it says in Proverbs eleven twenty four, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. 
So we can say, yes, it's so much better to live you know, God's way. He knows how to handle it. But man, when it comes to my stuff, that's when it stings. Because what God's saying is live a life of generosity. It's not how much can you get for yourself. It's God, how can I use this to freely, generously bless those around me? God, who's that, that family member that's going through a tough time that, that I can be generous to? Who's that person at work that I could come alongside and help and give my time to? What about, what's the, the mission of the church body that I'm a part of that I can generously, financially give towards? Where's an opportunity, God, for me to use my finances to give to the poor? He's saying, generously give. And he warns, he says, because when we hold on to it and say, I own it, what happens is, when I say, these are my possessions, I own them, what happens is then our possessions own us. Generously give. And you'll find joy that you could never get by buying something new and shiny that's just a couple years away from the landfill. It's one thing to say, yes, God, you are immense and you are humongous. You clearly know how to run my life better than I do, but man, when it comes to like my, my plans, ooh, that stings to surrender those. My stuff, that stings, but man, another thing the scripture says, well, what about your body? Well, my body is mine. I can do, I mean, if there's anything that's mine, it's my body, right? I mean, my body is my own. I can do what I want. I mean, as long as I'm not hurting someone else, I can do what I want with my body. But wisdom is calling. It says, go with what the Lord is calling and find life. It's thinking you have your own wisdom is finding death. It says, find life. Use your body the way God designed for you to take care of your body. And here's what it says. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 5, verse 3 through 4. This is talking about temptation on our body. Look what it says. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Here's what God is saying. When it comes to sexual temptation, whatever that temptation is on your life, it doesn't matter if the world is saying, yeah, why wouldn't you do that? Of course. It doesn't matter how tantalizing it looks. It doesn't matter what our body wants to do. It's saying if you go into that, you've got to decide who are you going to believe, God or the world, your body or the inventor of your body. Because what Almighty God is saying is the world does not know more about sex than I do, God says. He says, I invented sex and invented the world. The world does not know more than I do. He says, I've given you a plan for your sexuality that a man and a woman in the context of marriage experience in the covenant promise and protection of marriage experience the sexual relationship. And outside of that, He's saying that is going to lead to destruction. He's saying, I am giving you this so that you can find life. And what we're confronted with is just, do we believe it or not? Do we believe what the world says is you want to, know, you want to find truth? Just look inside and be true to yourself. Or should we say, I want to find truth so I want to look to the one who invented me? We have to decide which do we believe. Are we going to do our own thing or are we going to do God's thing? 
And the first step in wisdom is to understand, of course God knows better than I do. Of course. Of course, if there's something in my life that I'm doing that I know that God considers a sin, of course I should immediately, like this afternoon, take steps to stop. Because it's going to destroy me. Of course, if there's something God's like, no, I'm calling you to the step of obedience. Of course, even if it doesn't totally make sense, it doesn't have to make sense to me. Because the smart thing to do is to trust the one who invented intelligence and take that step of obedience. Of course, if I'm continuing in my life and I'm trying to do your, your, your way, God, but it's just getting difficult to stay on that path, of course, I should, pick, I should take one more step going forward, waiting patiently on the Lord and continue forward, of course. I should look to God for his wisdom when it comes to, to my plans, my stuff, my body, but also my salvation. How could I in my life possibly have anything to offer Almighty God? Do I have any religion or goodness or good deeds that could possibly impress the perfectly holy, almighty God, what could I have? What could I, could I, what could I show him? God, look at, look at my life. I'm not as bad as that person. Like, what, what could I show him in my life that could impress him by my goodness? There's nothing. But here's the incredible miracle. Do you want to know how much he loves you? You and I couldn't save ourselves facing an eternity away from God. And God looked onto this tiny planet with these tiny creatures that he had made and he loves us so much, he unimaginably came to our planet in the form of a man, Jesus Christ. We rejected him. He was crucified on the cross and the book of Acts put it like this. The unbelievable irony. We killed the author of life. Does that make you feel panicky a little? We had the audacity to put Jesus on the cross. But he went to the cross because he loves us. And he loves you. And he went to the cross because he wanted to pay for all of your sin, past, present, future. He wanted to wash all your sins away and offer you perfect forgiveness forever. Now that's overwhelming. He rose again from the dead on the third day, defeated death. Of course he can defeat death. He invented life. Came back from the grave so that anyone who puts their faith in Jesus will find salvation in heaven forever. It's not Jesus plus my little good deeds or my, my, my little religious activities. No, it's just Jesus. It's just putting your faith in Jesus and finding salvation. In light of this passage in Proverbs that just kind of puts us in our place, strikes awe in our hearts before Almighty God. Let's just take a quiet moment together in a moment of prayerful decision. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're watching online, would you bow your heads? Sitting at the pilot campus, just take a second and bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're sitting here and you say, look, I, I'm a follower of Jesus, but maybe today it's an opportunity to remind yourself Keep going, trust, 
Hold on to his plan. Don't quit. Maybe there's a step of obedience that this afternoon, take that step. Please don't stand in the awesome presence of God and say no. Take that step of obedience. Maybe, Christian, there's something you say, look, I'm going this direction, but I need to turn around and stop doing this and do it his way. Clearly, he knows better than I do. Please take that step. Turn from your sin and turn to life. But some of you are here, and maybe you're saying, look, I, I need to take that step of faith, and I, I've never said, okay, I'm in. I'm fo a follower of Jesus. I'm saved by what Jesus did. And maybe you say, the reason I've never done that is because I know there's this thing in my life that I would have to give up. There's this thing that God considers wrong or a sin, but I, I don't want to give that up. How could I give that up? It's a matter of who do you believe can run your life better? The one who loves you so much that he came to die for you. Please choose him. Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus today. Would you take that step? If that's you, you want to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus, make him your Lord and Savior, and seal for heaven, heaven for eternity for you. Take this step now. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. Just pray this silently right there in your seat. Make these words your words. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me this much. Thank you for coming to earth. Thank you for dying on the cross. I believe it pays for my sins. Wins me forgiveness forever. I believe you rose from the dead and that one day I too will live in heaven. I surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.